there. You're listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast. I'm your host, Paula Mazza, and together with my producer and husband, Jamie, we're exploring conversations about mental health, faith, and the importance of presenting our most honest and authentic selves when it comes to life in community. No tidy bows here, just real talk about real life in real time. This conversation is ongoing, and we are so glad you have chosen to be a part of it. So take a deep breath, settle in, and enjoy today's episode of Grace in Real Time. Jamie. Hey, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) Are you excited for part two of our Mark Freestead interview? I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely excited. This is a great part two of the episode. Looking forward to it. Yeah. There's some great content here. And one of the things that kind of caught me off guard was me telling my own story about anxiety and sharing a little bit more about that. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Well, it's great to open up and I'm glad you did. Another thing that is important in this episode, I think, is that Mark talks a lot about intentional training and strategies for uh, making safe spaces for preteens, helping them simply by the power of presence. And this really hits home for me because I've been volunteering with high school students for 20 years, and I think it's so important that we just show up. Absolutely. Um, Also, he talks uh, a lot about uh, self-care. Actually, I think you might have brought it up in the sense of, you know, self-care is often thought of as selfish. But is it really? I think it's really important. The idea of restorative care Mm -hmm. and taking care of ourselves so that we can, in turn, pour into other people. Yeah, I think I felt a little called out on that one. I, when we were talking about that, I was in a period of time where I was not taking very good care of myself just because I was so busy with school and a lot of other things. But yeah, I'm glad we covered that. We also talk a little bit about the church's response, some ways that we maybe try to over-spiritualize what's going on or under-spiritualize or just put our heads in the sand altogether. So we explored that as well. All right, Jamie, shall we get to it? Let's do it. I am. I've often said that the mental health of preteens is shaped by the people who are creating the environments that preteens live in, the structures and the systems and the environments. So while ultimately my heart is for preteens developmentally, just because there's just this fantastic window for formation, but it is also for people in general and for mental health and and you know it's it's interesting i i appreciate this ideal of you know spending 5 minutes every hour and in kind of working on that as a practice i also wonder how much pressure we put on ourselves to figure out the formula you know what i mean i my personal practice is to have breakfast with jesus 
every morning I come down here, I make my coffee, I get my, you know, get my oatmeal or whatever. And then I go sit up in my office and I'll have that. And that's kind of my time. And I can't tell you how many times I have tried to do, you know, the prayers that, that go throughout the day, the daily office. Yeah. Yeah. The daily office. And, um, and I have, I have one called the paraclete Psalter that I love. I mean, every time I look at it, I'm like, I love this. Um, and I, I'm great at, in the morning and I'm usually great in the evening, but the midday stops, I just cannot. Uh, and, and, and truth is I can, I don't. Right. Right. But I also, in looking at that reality, I have a couple choices of saying, okay, well, I I've chosen not to. So do I sit in a place of shame because I just couldn't, or do I set a goal for tomorrow and see what happens and keep moving forward and love and be loved regardless. Yeah. You know, I think that's a hard, that's a hard tension. It's a test of our faith, right? Because do we want our ministry efforts to come through us or God in us? And mm-hmm. so often we just think again, oh my gosh, an extra five minutes, I could organize this thing. And then I won't have to think about it because it'll be done for tomorrow. But that's, that's me. That's yeah. not God in me. Now, I'm not saying God's not about planning. I think he wants us to be great organizers of our time and stewards of our time yeah. and everything like that. But when I won't do the practices that I know will bring me into his presence <laughs> yes, and yes. make me a vessel for him, what I am doing is I am stubbornly refusing his assistance. Yeah. Say, no, no, God, you just sit on the shelf until Sunday and then I'll haul you out and pray in Jesus' name. And But the rest of this is me. Right. And, and we're, we're taking on the work at hand as if it was our work. Yeah. As if we were the ones initiating that as opposed to being the ones that get to partner with what God's up to. Yeah. The other thing that I'll say about practices is they can be so frustrating because something can really hit a home run with you for a while mm-hmm. and you can really be in a good rhythm with it. Yeah. Um, and then one day you just don't feel it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, <laughs> well, I guess it's not worth it. Or I guess I'm not religious and holy enough. And you do. You shame yourself and beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. You know, but the if you think of the Old Testament metaphor where the Israelites are commanded to walk with God and do not turn aside to the right or to the left, I mean, and that's us, right? Our hearts get drawn to other things off the path. And so every day we've got to adjust and we've got to calibrate. There's got to be a turning towards God because something has happened in the day to turn us inward on ourselves or turn us towards some crisis that we can't fix or turn us towards the headline of the day that really we don't need to pay attention to and, and turn ourselves back forward. And again, I would say that's us being out of relationship with ourselves. Yeah. If we think too highly of our abilities or too low of our mm-hmm. abilities, mm-hmm. we will turn to other quick fixes. Oh, I struggle with imposter sy- syndrome almost every day. Even sitting here right now, guys. Explain that. I, I am an imposter. What I don't it, know what, what I'm doing. What does that mean? <laughs> imposter syndrome. For me, it's um, it's... Just waiting for you all to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. Ah. And 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 so kind of sitting at any table, um, I when I sit with um, pastors and directors at our church, sometimes I'll look around and think, what am I doing here? You know, all these people with all these great ideas and inspiration and, you know, whatever. And, and me, I, you know, eventually they're going to ask me, they're going to figure out that, <laughs> you know, um, or even <laughs> so I'm in a doctorate program. 
And I just started, I had my first um, intensive week on campus and I was terrified to go because I was going to be sitting in a classroom with a bunch of doctorate students. (laughs) (laughs) Of which you are one. Of which I am one, but that's not what I'm thinking. That's not, that's not what I go in with. I go in with, oh my gosh, there's all these, and part of that is my anxiety. And I do have some social anxiety and some performance anxiety, you know, and all of that. So some of that is part of the package, but some of that is just the, the, this impossible that lives in my head that keeps telling me lies of, you know, trying to reform my identity to something that is not based on truth. Yeah. And that's part of my daily struggle. And, and so how do you cope with that then? Do you, do you try to put yourself out there as, hey, I belong, I'm totally competent and capable, or do you undersell yourself Right. And not give yourself enough credit. Yeah. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I'm also wired with a very short tunnel between my brain and my <laughs> mouth. So I'll find myself just being me without realizing it and then think, but then it's all, all of my thinking is in hindsight and backpedaling of, oh, should I have said, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Oh, but that was too much. Oh my gosh, I'm coming off too strong or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Or <laughs> if I could just let go of that and just be who I am. Yeah. I'll be much less awkward, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and um, it, it's it's fine. But usually, the things that I worry about are the feedback that I get is that the things that I worry about are really not issues. There are things, realities that I've created in my head that are not based on truth. And so, you asked, how do I handle that? What I do is a couple things. Um, one, I normalize my anxiety, so I know that I battle with anxiety. So when I feel those things rising up instead of kind of succumbing to it or, or going on that, taking that roller coaster, I just say, oh, yeah, well, of course I feel anxious. Here I am. I'm in this new situation. And I just kind of normalize it and say, well, why would I, why would I think that this anxiety wouldn't be here? Of course it's here. That's part of, <laughs> that's part of my wiring. And so then that kind of gives me a different way to think about it. I've also at different times in my life named my anxiety. Um, her name was Priscilla for a while. And I said, oh, hey, Priscilla, I see you there. Okay. All right. All right. I'm on to you. Okay. Well, you can sit in that chair over there and I'm going to sit here. And, you know, so those are kind of just some head games or kind of head things that I do. And then check. This is a big one. And this isn't always easy to do on your own. Sometimes you need people around you. Like my husband is great for this, is check your facts. So when I am spiraling on this thing that I think has happened and it's building in my head. And now I'm like this great big imposter and they're all, you know, whatever it is, I'll say, tell my husband, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Give me some feedback. Or I'll check the room that I just left and say, well, did anybody actually say that? Yeah. Did you get a sideways look or are you waiting for a sideways look? You know, like (laughs) that kind of stuff. And so that helps me um, just think about it. But it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of um, introspective you know, a lot of self-awareness, yeah, which is hard, and and gr- a growing sense of differentiation from the you know knowing where you stop and the other person begins, that's right. um, which is a hard that's a hard thing too, and that you see that a lot in families that enmeshment those dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't Paul talk about like now we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see fully, mm-hmm. and now we we know in part, we prophesy in part, but then we'll know fully. Yeah. And so that's like the hope of heaven, right? Is we won't have to play all these mind games with ourselves <laughs> right. and with other people. What, how did they take what I said? Their re- facial reaction seemed a little funny. So, gosh, did I come across wrong? What do they think of me? Yeah. Mark, I wonder, kind of as you're thinking about 
life and ministry and preteens you've worked with and the, how you train your leaders? What, what are the kind of, kind of some of the things that are important to you to make sure that your leaders, how are you intentional about creating a culture where it's safe to be whoever you be you in your truest form and to process whatever it is that you need to process? Yeah, I think that as you work with kids, I mean, as ministry leaders, I think we need to be keenly aware that there's a difference between smaller groupings and small groups. And mm. so as much as possible, even though it's a lot, a lot of work and a lot of administration and a lot of tracking, um, like we've got to do our best to put the same kids with the same leader every single week, mm-hmm. as opposed to, hey, it's small group time now. So you five go over here and you five go over here. More like a breakout group. Yeah, like right? a breakout group. <laughs> right. But but the familiarity that comes and my goodness, when you only have a kid for an hour and a half a week and you may not see them more than once a month to build that familiarity is really, really hard. Yeah. That's really, really an uphill battle. But it really, really is what kids need. I was asked a while ago to spend time with a boy who was having some mental health struggles and his mom wanted me to meet with him, um, you know, periodically. And so I'm like, yeah, like, of course I want to be helpful. And I'm thinking ahead of time of, you know, what are all these words of wisdom that I'm going to dispense? What are all these questions that I'm going to (laughs) ask to open him up? And, and I was reminded of something that Pam Powell taught uh, in the pastoral care class at Bethel Mm -hmm. San Diego. Um, She said, you know, you're never going to get anybody to tell you everything. That's not the goal in pastoral right. counseling. Right. You, you, your job isn't to honor secrets or have them share things that might be shameful such that they come back and then they never want to speak to you again. Right. Because I've made that mistake. That's a bad one. <laughs> um, you know, that you you just open somebody up on the first meeting with them, but then it's so painful that yeah. they just, they don't want to revisit that again. Yeah. But I think that after spending a couple times with this boy and and I'm trying to inject things into the conversation without pushing him too hard. And then I just realized, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Like my wife and I just read this book about attachment theory and our kids Mm. and just how mind-blowing it is, how healing it is for people to have a securely attached relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. Can be parents, Mm -hmm. but can be just the average Joe who -hmm. works with them in a a preteen ministry setting. Mm -hmm. And don't underestimate that. You know, that week after week, if you're a small group leader or a ministry leader, just unconditional acceptance, love and affirmation, and how far that goes in just bringing kids' defenses down, that you would be a safe person, that Uh they've got at least one safe person in their life. I'm not saying their parents aren't safe, but I'm just saying like the secure attachment where they're not left guessing because especially kids with mental health struggles, they're second guessing themselves all the time. Uh I mean, they're just like, am I good enough? Did I say the right thing? And they snoop out in authenticity very quickly. They know when you're faking it. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so where I arrived at with this, with this boy was, I was just like, we're just going to spend time together. We're just going to spend time together and he's going to see me being normal me. And I'm going to see him being normal him. And, and it's going to be therapeutic and I don't have to say amazing things and I don't have to throw amazing Bible verses at him uh-huh. and I don't have to, you know, compose this wisdom filled lecture on why he should think this way about himself. I don't need that. All I need to do is come alongside of him. Yeah. And through the power of that securely attached relationship, you really do see people get better. I mean, if you're listening to this and you have not read anything on attachment theory, I mean, it's just the most profound thing. 
I think that's great that you did that, you know, just to come alongside. And the thing about that I found about being a leader during those times is you don't always get the immediate feedback or rarely do you get immediate feedback that this is working, right? You come alongside the kid, you spend time with them, hopefully years down the road, when they're an adult and they're married and they've got their own families, you might see them and and they go, you remember that time you spent with me? That was really important. And, and they don't, they'll have no idea what you said. They won't remember what you said. They'll just remember that you were there. Yeah, that you sure. were there. And uh, that's golden, man. I've I've been able to experience that a couple of times with kids that I've I've hung out with. And it's not always them that come to me. It might be their parents that come to me and say, I remember when you spent time with my kid and that was really important during that time. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right>. Wow. Yay. <laughs> cool. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. In evangelical culture, especially, we are given to the quick fixes and the quick payoff. Mm. And we need to back up and go, no, no, long-term perspective. Like, yes, I want to see dramatic life change in a preteen, but it may not happen. And that's the test of my faithfulness in ministry is, will I continue to do the right thing again and again and again, even if I don't see immediate payoff? Right. Or am I going to get frustrated and impatient and try to engineer some like false victory that really isn't a victory just because I need a breakthrough with this kid? Right. Or, or we ourselves are just trying to be spectacular yeah. at our job. I mean, that's that's one of my battles is that I wanted I genuinely want to be helpful. Yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to be part of the problem, but I definitely want to be the part of the solution. And I want to be helpful. The problem is that I want to be helpful. That's right. You know. <laughs> As opposed to just seeking, um, how can I partner in what you're up to, God, um, here in this? And there is so much to be said for be just being present, um, sitting with a child or with a person, uh, a, minister, a, a fellow ministry leader, a person in your family, a stranger, whoever it is. And the words that come out of your mouth are not necessarily the most important part of that equation. It's the presence and and oftentimes are life experiences allow us to not just be present, but to sit in solidarity with them, whatever it is that they're experiencing. And I think, I think about Jesus putting on some skin and coming, coming to the earth, you know, limiting himself. It's a similar thing in experiencing all of what life has to offer. I mean, he, he was all in on the human experience. And for me, that gives me even more confidence that when I'm in my highest high or my lowest low, whatever's going on, that Jesus is with me and stands in solidarity with me, not not judging me, but he's with me. Yeah, that's very good. When I was saying before, you know, our ministry environments often don't help kids who have anxiety, especially. But what we're rewarded for in ministry environments is having the right words, right. saying the right things. And that's the very thing that doesn't necessarily help them, right? Right. It's sitting silently next to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say to help someone, you got to connect side by side, then heart to heart, then face to face. But the way we do ministry, it's very confrontational. Look at me, I'm up on stage and I've got a microphone and lights are on me. So I, immediately I'm in your face, I'm face to face. And to really help a kid, you got to come side by side first. Right. And there might be a lot of dead time. Yeah. Um, My junior high ministry staff, uh, we were talking about this just the other week and how it can be really, really hard to connect with a middle school student because you get a vibe that they don't want to talk to you. They would rather (laughs) that you went away. 
and the conversation is just a dead end. Whatever mm-hmm. you ask, it's just a one or two word answer. And then, mm-hmm. and then, but someone on my staff pointed out, if you get up and walk away, you're sending a silent signal to them that I'm done with you. You're boring mm-hmm. and I'd rather be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So th- they were coaching volunteers and they said, Hey, just hang in there. Even if the conversation is awkward, even if there's no conversation at all, mm-hmm. they will remember that you stayed with them yes. by their side. Yes. And they will definitely remember if you got up and walked away because you sent the signal, you're not worth my time. It's, oh my gosh, Mark, that is so true. I, when I train leaders, I'm all about safety, but it's not just the physical safety. It's the social safety, the emotional safety, the spiritual safety, like all of that. And, and so much of that is, has nothing to do with your programs. It's all about posture towards these kids. Right. You know, I'm a big fan of the steady drip with kids, Mm. um, hoping that you get more of a chance, but you know, the first, the, maybe the first encounter is a a smile or a wink or a, I, you know, I see you, I see that you're here. And next encounter is, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. That's right. (laughs) And you get a couple of weeks of, I'm so glad you're here. And then maybe after a couple of weeks of that, you get to say, Oh, you are, I'm so glad you're here again. What, tell me about your weekend. What'd you do? You know, so acting like you already know them. That's right. You know, and then before you know it, you get to ask them some more questions or maybe they start asking you some questions. And over time, after the steady drip, you know, you've got you've got a relationship. But it, it, it is it is so relational driven, dependent. Right. Which is by design. We're created for a relationship We're created for community and we, there is something in us that craves that. So, and this boy um, that I was yeah. talking about, when I finally shut up and put aside my canned like script and just spent time with him, guess what? Eventually, he started asking me questions mm. and and revealing things that made him anxious, and said, "Doesn't that make you anxious too?" Mm. And that just came out of seemingly nowhere, but it, it wasn't nowhere. Right. It was from the ground that was planted in, I'm just going to relate to you with absolutely no agenda. I'm not here to fix you. Yeah. I'm not here to talk you out of your problem. I'm not a therapist. Right. He had a therapist. Yeah. That's a therapist's job. Yeah. But my job is, is to be incarnate Jesus style love to him. Yeah. And then whatever happens, happens. Right. But it's right. not going to be bad. Right. Time spent right. with someone who's struggling is not bad. Yeah. And I want to say, um, this is true for ministry leaders. This is also st- true for parents, any parents out there listening, getting to know your kids, wanting to go deeper with your kids, that steady drip, yeah. just plopping yourself in front of them without an agenda, without a questions that you all need, the millions of questions you want to, you're trying to get information and want to know how, you know, well, how was school? What's going on? Who'd you hang out with? What did you do? You know, that can be very overwhelming, especially if your child is struggling with Now, just know that from a child's stuff. perspective, another name for the steady drip is Chinese water torture. Oh. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Exactly. But yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, there's been times when I have just plopped myself in with my kids, you know, plop myself in their room and said, hey, what's up? What are you thinking about? Yeah, that's cool. You know, <laughs> whatever. And just no agenda, just kind of hanging out, talking. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff, Mark. Well, I have um, two more questions sure. for you. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the importance of self-care, which... Uh, I mean, I have heard a lot of people, and I've even felt it myself, um, a lot of times self-care feels selfish, Mm. right? Taking that time to do the thing for yourself, Um, especially if you're a parent. That's a a big one, especially as your kids are leaving the house. You know, I'm on the other end that you're you're just just beginning. I've got my youngest is almost 20, 
almost 20. Yeah. And we have one that's, um, you know, getting close to 30. It's so common to think of self-care as something that's selfish. So I wonder, what do you think about that when it comes to Christians who are supposed to be looking towards others, giving, loving others? Well, that's the key. That's the key right there. I mean, self-care has become such a buzzword these days, but I think we as Christians have to draw a distinction between self-care that is merely indulgent and self-care that is rehabilitative Mm. so that I can then turn around and give back to other people. Mm -hmm. And what happens in the ministry world is we drive ourselves so hard, so hard, don't take a day off. Oh, it's okay. I'll catch up later. But what happens is what I call forced Sabbath. So one way or another, (laughs) your body will rebel and will say, oh no, you are taking a break. But if we don't do that regularly enough for ourselves and nourish our souls, nourish our relationships with God and our family and just have that downtime, what happens to me is I develop a sense of entitlement when it comes to taking a break. Mm. So I'm going to order a large pizza for myself because I deserve this. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have come through a week of camp and yeah. I'm just going to binge on TV all day and all night long. And I'm not going to go to bed and get a good night's sleep because I just deserve this pint of Ben and Jerry's. I deserve this. Yeah. And think about what you're telling yourself that you deserve. You deserve heart disease and you deserve Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But I don't right. want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Right, you right. haven't worked as hard as I have. And I just deserve. So, so we can either periodically take the breaks and observe Sabbath and times of rest and restoration for ourselves, or we will hit a wall and we'll crash mm. and we'll do things that feel good or that seem good, but that are ultimately destructive. And it's ultimately stealing. It's stealing from our family who needs us. It's stealing from other people who need us because I don't care what anybody says. I'm just blowing $5,000 and going on a vacation and that's it because I deserve this. So I think self-care is really, really important in a rehabilitative sense Mm -hmm. that we don't overdo it. John Ortberg said in one of his books, he said, sometimes you have to realize that spiritually the best thing you can do for yourself is take a nap. Mm. And I think he said it in the context of like prayer, that sometimes when people pray, their minds not only wander, but they actually go to sleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, it that's okay. He said, if you go to sleep when you're trying to pray, that's your body trying to tell you something. You need to take a nap. Mm-hmm. But this is the key. You don't take a nap and stay asleep. You take a nap, you get restored, and then you're refreshed to, again, be a resource to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So we're not just indulging ourselves and pampering ourselves and spoiling ourselves. That's kind of the secular understanding of self-care. Right, right. Is self-indulgence. But but a Christian understanding of self-care, again, is tending to that relationship. That yeah. relationship being in right relationship with yourself. Yeah. So that you can balance the relationship with others, with your neighbor, with God. Yeah, totally. I like to think of it as stewardship. Yeah. You know, God gave me one body. This is my one body. I don't get another one. Totally. As far as I know. <laughs> This is it. And so how how can I be a good steward of this body and this brain and this heart and this life that he's given me? Totally right. And and I think if you suffer from anxiety, depression, other mental health disorder, you may need to spend more time mm-hmm. with yourself mm-hmm. or you may need to devote time going to a therapist or you mm-hmm. may need to, you know, intentionally spend time exercising. I mean, we all skate through periods of life where like, no, this is war. I just got to bear down and I got to finish my doctoral program or whatever. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I'm not going to exercise. But but the reality is having grace on yourself. Like if that's what it takes to get you to a healthy place so that you can then give away to other people, 
you've got to do that because if you don't do that, you're not going to be the resource that you could be for other people. Yeah, Mark, I feel like you're uh, you're calling me out here. <laughs> this whole this is like finals week, and I have not gone for a while. I did do yoga this morning. Yep, you I, did. I did do yoga, half an hour, slow flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I but you're totally that's totally correct. I when I am in this, oh, this is time crunch, and I've got to get this done, and I've got full time ministry that I'm you know working in, and I used to have kids, still have you know adult kids that are living at home and managing all of that, and you know, so I just don't have time, and I'm just going to eat whatever's fast and easy, and right. you know, not be mindful and not be um, a good steward yep. of this body that I, I so want to be, and I know in my heart, you know, is the best place to be, but there's some times. Yeah. yeah, it gets hard. And, and I mean, one of the best things that's happened for me is my wife and then having two kids who really, really need me. Mm. So it's very hard to cheat them on my days off mm. because I can't be on a computer. They will want to be on the computer with me. I can't be on my phone <laughs> doing work. They will call me out because they want me to play with them. And so that's actually been really, really good and really healthy boundary. But as you said, as we're recording this, it's the summer of 2021 and we're coming out of a season of sort of you know, fully reopening on campus stuff. And so yeah. since June 6th of this year, it has just gone from like, I don't know, 35 miles an hour to 85 miles an hour. Right. And we're in California. Yeah. Which is it, different from other places. And we're just going, yeah. going, going. And I'm really good at making up excuses for myself as to why I should take on extra things at work. And, oh, we've got to try this. And my wife is really good at calling me out on that and going, hey, you're cheating us here, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is affecting our family life. You're just preoccupied with it. You've got to pull back. Yeah. And what I need to do is I need to internalize that voice instead of the voice of self-doubt and the voice of pride and the voice mm -hmm. of, well, if I only accomplished this thing, I'd be at peace with myself because that's really, really not true. And yeah. I can get in the middle of a really, really busy project where I step back and have those moments of perspective and say, yeah, I'm working really hard. And when I'm done with this, I guess I'll have the feeling of satisfaction for a day that I accomplished this thing. But it's not its not long-term satisfaction. That's right. not, not where long-term satisfaction lies. Sure. And so sometimes I even catch myself in that incongruity and go, what am I doing? Why <laughs> am I doing this? But it comes back to what I said before that I just, I just don't know that we can easily be the kind of people that God needs us to be in the society that we've constructed. Yeah. And so what does that mean? Right. That means as Christians, we've got to deliberately make some different choices for ourselves and for our families, because otherwise we're just going to get swallowed up by the culture. Yeah. And it, it kind of puts that not of this world in a different perspective, doesn't it? Does. It does. It gives it a new lens. It does. I mean, people in pre-industrial societies, they just like spent a lot of time with themselves yeah. and their families. Yeah. And they didn't go out of their minds. We think we'll go out of our minds, right? Yeah. We need all these entertainment and all this options and stuff like that. And I need constant access to the internet on my phone. Right, right, right. Well, there was a time when they didn't have that and they were actually mentally healthier than we are today. Right, right. You know, I read an article 10 years ago and this just stuck with me that a psychologist said, he, he said, the average teenager now has the the bad mental health level of the average psychiatric patient back in the 1950s. Oh, good golly. And granted, that was anecdotal. You know, it wasn't yeah, backed yeah, up yeah. by studies or evidence, but this is just what he was seeing in his practice. Yeah. You know, like the teenagers that he was dealing with would have been in mental institutions mm -hmm. in the 1950s. And mm. now we just go, oh, that's just the norm. That's just, it's just right. what it is. And right. yeah, these teenagers never sleep, but you know, that's just what they got to do to get into college. Right. And I'm like, 
do we really have to swallow this? Like really, or is there another way to live? Yeah. Mm, that's a great question. Well, I do have one more, yeah. one more question for you. Just kind of when you think about mental health and the church at large, the church as a whole, and maybe you've already answered this in a couple of different ways, but I just wonder what is, what is one thing that you wish the church understood when it comes to people who are struggling with mental health concerns? That they're already in your churches, they're everywhere. I mean, the extent of this problem is just so much broader and vaster than I think we realize, mm -hmm. but it's not easily recognizable, right? Like if Invisible, somebody comes yeah. and their foot is in a cast, and you do that all the time. Oh, what happened to you? You know, and then they share their story, right? Yeah. But but if you suffer from depression or you've dealt with this in your past, at what point in a new relationship do you bring that up? Like you meet someone at church and they become your friend. And like, is that in the first five minutes? Is it in the first, you know, like encounter with them? Uh, probably not. And so it's just this hidden thing. It's kind of a shameful thing. We don't feel like we can talk about it or should talk about it. But every time I've had a venue to be open about it, and it's not often, but you get people who come up and go, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing that because here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what we've dealt with in our family. And you realize how common it is. Mm -hmm. And so I just wish churches could find a way to bring it out of the darkness and out into the light. Cause that's one of the things that's healing. When mm -hmm. you go through this, you just feel like you're the only one. There's no one you can talk to. Nobody understands. Nobody has empathy or compassion on you, but it is so, so common. And then the other thing I, I think would be to understand again, as churches, we're really good at talking we're really good about giving answers and solutions, but we can't really talk our way out of this problem. We've got to structure the way that we do church differently mm -hmm. in order to have an effect here. And, you know, I think some churches are starting to understand that, but church is a show, right? And so there's a few people on stage who get to sing and speak, and most people just come and sit and they watch. Mm. And that doesn't help people get better. Right. Nor does forcing them to, you know, play roles like, like, oh yeah, I've got, I, I, I'm depressed, but because I have Jesus, it's all okay. <laughs> right. It's like, well, it's not all okay. Or if you right? just like, pray differently. Yeah, or if you just pray differently, right? And 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 I like what, you know, thank you for sharing that about your daughter. Like, like it's not something to be fixed. Bipolar isn't something to be fixed, but it is something to be dealt with, right? So she has to learn to live her life in such a way that she manages it, takes care of herself. Mm -hmm. Stewardship. So that she, stewardship. So yeah. she can be all of what God, you know, wants and needs her to be. And in the church, we just have such a one side one size fits all thing, like mm -hmm. except Jesus and it's all going to be better. And what do you mean you still have problems? Well, maybe you didn't pray hard enough or you didn't have faith enough or like, let's go back for a third altar call for you and zap right. this out of you. Right. And it's like, no, it's like, this is part of the brokenness of the human condition right. Um, right. that some people do suffer with mental health difficulties. Now, that shouldn't stop us from taking the steps that we need to, to change our contexts, to make life more manageable. Of course, we should do those things, but it's out there. It's common. It's not shameful. It's not unspiritual. It's not unchristian right. to go through seasons of anxiety or depression. And so- Or to even have that part of your biology. Right. Yeah. And the biological piece, I mean, we probably haven't even understood that that's a viable factor for, I don't know, uh, you know- 30, 40 years ago that we really discovered the, all that we know about brain yeah. chemistry. Right. And we're learning so much more about it now, you know, but like a hundred years ago, they would have just institutionalized people and just said, right. well, they're just, you know, just insane or right. 
or whatever. And now we know that it is in some people's makeup. And so just being compassionate towards that, um, walking alongside of people, but I think really bringing it out of like erasing the stigma. I mean, if there should be any place that it's okay <laughs> to show up and and be open and honest about your struggles, it should be church. Right. Right. But in church, we just do so much play acting because like it's, oh, how are you? Well, praise the Lord. I'm fantastic. Right. Or and that's or, really not true. Or we're so fixated on this is good. This is bad. Am I good or am I bad? Am I, you know, which oh, is yeah. like, well, that's not the. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. Right. Right. <laughs> so let's get past that and let's 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 encourage each other to draw into intimacy with God. Yeah. We are all broken yeah. pilgrims. Yeah. On a redemptive journey. Yeah, we live in a broken world. Guess what? Yeah, and your brokenness might be different than mine, but um, let's honor the brokenness and and recognize it for what it is, rather than shaming it or just um, you know pushing it into silence. It's just. And how about so how about if we champion each other? What would that look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so sad as a ministry leader, you know, when you maybe there's a family that hasn't been around for a while. And then they pop back up and they resurface and you find out that what's been going on is somebody has been really, you know, battling mm-hmm. severe depression. Maybe yes. they've been hospitalized and you didn't know right. where if they had cancer, they would have called the church and mm-hmm. said, hey, mm-hmm. you know, so-and-so's hospitalized. Can uh, you come visit them? So true. But with mental health, it's different in some yeah. way. And I don't know why it's different. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot to think about there. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking time for sharing your heart, for being vulnerable yeah. um, and just, just sharing with us. Um, I, I hope that you will come back soon. Yeah. Thanks for doing the podcast work. I mean, this is, this is the issue of our age. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, until next time. <laughs> well, friends, as you can see, there's a lot to talk about there. You can probably understand why we split this into two episodes. There's so much meat, so much to process here. I think one of the things that I walked away from this conversation thinking about was this idea of our self-care, kind of reflecting on it and thinking about whether this is restorative or not, the efforts that we make to take care of ourselves. And are we really, really being good stewards of that time or are we doing something that just numbs us. <laughs> yeah, we fell into a pattern for quite some time of at the end of the day, we just crash on the couch and watch TV. And as relaxing as I want to say that is, it's not really. If anything, it's just numbing. I just like the idea of sitting on the couch and knowing that while this show is on, nobody's going to ask me to do anything. And all I have to do is lay here. And that's not really restful for me. It's restful. I mean, that might feel restful, but it's not restorative. I'm not sure I understand where you're going with this because, you know, if you're living a crazy, busy life and you're going, going, going all the time, why wouldn't self-care include just sacking out on the couch and watching your favorite program? Yeah. And I think it can. I'm not saying that it can't or that that's bad. I'm saying for me, in my unique wiring, when that's mostly what I do, I really don't care what's on the TV. It doesn't matter. I just like the idea that I'm laying down (laughs) and not doing anything. And I think for me, what is more restorative is listening to some good music, drinking some hot tea, maybe reading, you know, doing something that fills me, not just numbs me. Well, I guess each person has to figure out what works for them. 
Yeah. For, for me, laying on the couch and watching a football game. Oh, yeah, that's your love. <laughs> is restorative. And I don't necessarily care who is playing the game. I might actually take a nap during yeah. the game. Right. And that is restorative to me. That is like taking a break. I feel for me personally, if I feel like I'm, oh, I want to listen to this music or I want to read this book. I feel like I'm just, again, returning to my list of things that I want to accomplish and get done. Hmm. rather than actually having some self-care restorative time. Isn't that interesting how you and I are wired so differently that way? Yeah, that's why I say each person has to figure out their own thing. Yeah. But I think overall, and this was what Mark was saying too, that the self-care is important. Right. And it's important because we have to, well, I feel like I have to take a nap. I'm an introvert, so I need that time to myself, away from everybody, to re-energize, regenerate, be fresh for the next interaction with somebody. And if I'm not doing that, then I am digging into an empty well to try to find something to give to other people. Yeah. And I would be considered an extrovert, but I have a very busy mind. In fact, some would say I have ADD. (laughs) And so for me to have space to sit And a quiet space to process what's going on or what's been going on during my day is helpful and part of my self-care. I think the key word there is restorative. So whatever it is that you do as part of your self-care, make sure that it is restorative and not just avoidant. Sometimes when I take naps, you know, I have two different modes when I take naps. Sometimes it's, I'm just so tired, I need to take a nap, which is great. Yay, take a nap. Sometimes it's, oh, I know I have a big day tomorrow and I still have things I need to do today. If I take a nap now, the rest of this day might be more productive and then I'll feel better tomorrow. So that's a intentional nap rest. But there's other times, and you know this, you've seen me do this, where a nap is the equivalence of avoidance, (laughs) where I'm like, I have things to do, so I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I am a big huge, gigantic fan of taking naps. I know you are. I actually try to schedule it into my day. It doesn't always happen, but maybe it's because I'm getting older. But (laughs) You are an old man. (laughs) But I find that taking naps in the afternoon is, uh, even if it's for half an hour, Uh 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I feel very restored and ready to continue my day when I do that, especially since I get up super early in the morning. I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm running three, four, five miles a day. And so that afternoon nap, I just look forward to it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've trained me not to call you between two and three because I know you might be (laughs) taking a nap during that time. So I actually think twice now about calling you (laughs) during those times. By the way, for the record, when I say this guy is old, I'm joking because he's actually only three weeks older than me. (laughs) So when I say he's old, I'm also saying I'm old. We're both old. (laughs) But not really. Well, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of the imposter syndrome. Mm. When you brought that up, you know, it's probably that some people have different definitions for what that is. Because it sounded like when you said the term, Mark didn't quite know what you were saying or what you were talking about. And so he asked you to explain it. So maybe just talk a little bit about why you brought that up during the conversation. I think it kind of ties in with his concept of the importance of being present. 
as opposed to bringing great content to something. So imposter syndrome is thinking that you have no business doing the thing that you're doing because you don't have anything to bring into it or that you have tricked everyone into believing that you are something that you're not. Do you think that has a lot to do with self-confidence? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes, very much. It has to do with self-confidence. It has to do with not being sure of what you have to contribute or, you know, maybe being hesitant to engage boldly into something. I know when I sit down to a table with pastors and senior directors, I often look around and think, what am, what am I doing here? Why am I sitting here? And then I realize, oh, wait, I'm a senior director. Okay, that's right. My yeah. voice matters too. <laughs> I think you gave some real practical tips on how to deal with that. Sure. Naming it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and I think that had to do with anxiety right? a bit. But, you know, this imposter syndrome is like you're in a room with people and you are thinking in your head that you are smaller than you really are. Right. And so you might shrink back from contributing to conversations because Mm -hmm. of that running dialogue in your head that says you're not good enough. You don't belong here. And someday these people are going to find out that you're a great big fake. Do you think everybody deals with that? I would be greatly suspicious of that being true. You know, I'm hesitant to say everybody, but I do think that it's more common. It's one of those common experiences that unless we name it and talk about it out loud, everybody thinks they're the only one. Yeah, I think. I think some people might look at me and think that I'm fairly confident, but I deal with that a lot. Oh, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, through my job, there's opportunities for us to train other people or uh, we have user conferences where, you know, we're standing up in front of these people who have come across the country and are paying money to attend this conference. And we're supposed to be basically teaching them something, you know, leading up to that point of standing in front of everybody and and saying, you know, what I need to say, I'm constantly running through my head. Can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. But what I've found is the more I prepare and practice and really get the information in my head and know exactly where I'm going to go and what I'm going to talk about, the more confident I feel. And that just squashes that voice that says, you can't do this. So, I mean, that's kind of a practical tip, but yeah, I, I deal with it too. Yeah. And my guess is by the time it's time to deliver whatever the content is you need to deliver, you don't even hardly need to look at your notes because you're so confident in the information or, you know, with whatever the content is that you want to share because you've practiced it. <laughs> Do you want to tell them about what I did to you just uh, this last Sunday? Oh my goodness. What he did was try to give me a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) I was invited to be interviewed by our senior pastor at the beginning of his sermon this last week. And it was great. You know, he wanted to ask some questions about mental health and preteens and why this is important and kind of some choices that our church is making uh, in that direction and just letting people know that we're having these conversations. But this is something that is deep in my heart that I speak passionately about. But in this case, I was getting a little nervous and antsy. And I think it was because I was just feeling this is so important and all that. And so I had I had all my notes written out and tucked into this little notebook. So everyone would just think I was looking in my journal, but I'm really like looking at this script that I had written out. And And I asked Jamie if he would help me practice kind of going through because I knew what questions I was going to be asked. So I was kind of practicing my answers. And what did you say? What was your what was your comment to me? Yeah, I think my comment was you're reading 
from the notes. You're focusing too much on the notes and you're not digging into the passion that fuels why you're talking about this subject that you're talking about. I said, you know all these facts, you know all these statistics, you know what you wanna say, you don't need the notes. And so we're practicing and she's she's digging in and reading these notes and I was just off in la la land and she had lo- completely lost me. <laughs> and she stopped and she looked at me and she's like, I lost you, right? I said, yeah, you did. Long gone. <laughs> and then I grabbed her journal <laughs> and I it took out of my it hands. from her <laughs> and I sat on it and I basically said, now answer my question, <laughs> which was good for you, right? It was very good. Yes. I think you got feedback afterwards that your passion came through. You were very well spoken. Mm -hmm. Spoke with authority. Spoke with authority and that people were engaged and it was very good. And so, you know, it's kind of a lesson for all of us that when we're talking about something that we're passionate about and we feel is very important, if you just talk from the heart, I think that it comes across better than just reading your notes. Well, absolutely. And, you know, going back to the power of presence, part of it is just trusting the passion that God has put in me and knowing that just going up there, sitting, listening to the questions, answering from the place that I stand, from my perspective, offering myself to the conversations, I can trust that. I don't have to freak out. I can just be present in the moment and enjoy the conversation. Well, Paula, we had some great conversation with Mark And we covered a wide variety of topics, right? We sure did. And I wanted to let our listeners know that anybody who is in the San Diego area has an opportunity to come hear me speak in person at Solana Beach Presbyterian Church on October 26th. I believe that's a Tuesday in the evening. I'll be talking about my own journey with mental health and anxiety in particular, and sharing some of the things I've learned over the years about preteen development, preteen mental health, and some tips for helping discern whether it's time or not to ask some different questions about what's going on with our kids. So I hope you can join us. I'll be there too. Yay, you can meet me and Jamie. But I'll probably just be sitting in the back. No, (laughs) you'll be in the back interjecting. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Grace in Real Time. Keep an eye out for another great episode with a great interview coming up at the beginning of November. Oh, it's going to be a good one. I can't wait for this interview. While you're waiting, make sure to go to preteenmentalhealth.com, sign up for our newsletter, and if you feel so inclined... Follow us on Spotify or iTunes. We'll see you next time. Listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast with your host, Paula Mazza. If you'd like to get in touch with Paula, send an email to Paula at preteenmentalhealth.com. For more information on the Preteen Mental Health Initiative, the Grace in Real Time podcast, and to get connected to mental health resources, please visit our website, preteenmentalhealth.com. <laughs>